This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. All right, we're going to be in John chapter 15. We're going to be in a lot of places, but, but that's going to be our primary uh, kind of anchor text. And so John chapter 15. Um, I, bring, I bring this awesome artwork back up um, because I took art classes my freshman year in high school. This has nothing to do with the sermon. Um, that just reminded me. I thought I was doing really good, and then I looked at the guy next to me, and I was like, oh, that's what an artist looks like. Um, it was not so good. Uh, it was not so good. The, the, what is it? The beauty's in the eye of the beholder? It looked good to me, but man, when you compare that sucker to someone who actually knew how to draw, no, sir. No, sir. So we talked a lot um, over the last few weeks about the, the fullness of life. Um, quoted uh, Thomas Aquinas, who said um, that there is in the soul of every person a search for happiness and meaning. Um, I believe that is 100% true. Uh, and and we, we just called that the fullness of life. Everybody wants life to be full. You went through last week, every day, every moment, um, desiring for it to be full, to be happy, to be pleased, to be satisfied. Um, you, you made decisions of what to do or not to do thinking through, like, okay, this ultimately is going to make me happier. And, and in some cases, right, we, we know long-term this, this is not best, but in that moment, we, we want the gratification of it, and so we, we grab hold of it. Because as human beings, we are pleasure seekers, right? Like, we want to be happy. We want the, the fullness of life. Well, Psalm 1611 says, in God's presence is the fullness of life. Right, Jesus, he said in John 10, 10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, either Jesus misspoke and was like, darn it, I put a superlative on there that I shouldn't have, and now I'm, I'm you know, up a creek. Um, no, or Jesus actually meant that he came that you and I would have life and have it abundantly, um, and, and yet we oftentimes are, are living separated from that, right? Like, we're oftentimes, like, far from what God, we would think, like, okay, this surely isn't what Jesus meant, like, surely this is not abundant life, the fullness of life. And so we have to know first and foremost what we're going for. Like, what is the fullness of life? Well, God for all of eternity, God himself is the fullness of life. Before the world began, before you and I existed, before God had a plan to make us his own, God existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for all of eternity. And he existed in a perfect state of glorifying himself. The Father would glorify the Son. The Son would glorify the Father. The Father, the Spirit, the Spirit, the Son, right? Like God himself within this triune God for all of eternity is generously giving glory and praise and love and care to one another. And so it is the perfect fullness of life within himself alone. He did not need the world. He did not need you and me. This changes everything for us. When we realize that God didn't need to create the world, he didn't need to create you and me for his happiness or for his glory, um, it starts to change how we look at God, right? God tells us to glorify him. Why? Because he's running out of glory? No, he's fine. He's good, right? He tells us to praise him. Why? Because his self-esteem is low, and he's like, I need someone to praise me, or I'm going to be really down on myself. No, because for all of eternity, he is giving and receiving perfect glory and perfect praise. He has the fullness of life in himself. 
So then why does God create us and why does he tell us to do those things if it's not for God, it's for us? He creates us to invite us into that divine fellowship, to join him in divine community, to join him in the fullness of life and to model the steps of Jesus, to praise God the Father as Jesus praises God the Father, to surrender and submit to God the Father as Jesus surrenders and submits to God the Father, to give glory to God as Jesus gives glory to God the Father because that is the fullness of life. Because that is where we're going to find the greatest joy and satisfaction is in moving near to God in the image of Jesus the Son. That is our purpose. That's why you and I are here. It's to, it's to glorify God and to join Him in the fullness of life. We talked about how we have separated ourselves from God, just like Adam and Eve. Genesis 3, right? Adam, God says, hey, trust me, follow me, live in this relationship with me. And then Adam and Eve are like, no, 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 hey, that's okay. We're going to do our own thing. We're going to chase after our own desires. We know best. And so rather than praising and giving God the glory, they praised themselves and elevated themselves above God. That's what sin is. That's what happens when, when Bascom, you know, when in a relationship with him, when I sin against him, I'm elevating myself above him. That's what that is. Whenever we treat someone poorly, we're ultimately putting ourselves higher than them. And so it's the same thing with God. When we sin against him, we are elevating ourselves above God. We are contending for the position of God. And that's what separates us from a right relationship with him. But Jesus came that we would have life and have it abundantly. It is mind-boggling that we were the ones that walked away from God, and in love, he pursued us through Jesus. Right? We rejected him. Remember, he doesn't need us. He doesn't need our salvation. He doesn't need our, you know, he doesn't, he's good. He pursues us in love because he wants to give us a new life with him. To, to praise him and to glorify him. So Jesus pursues us in the gospel. He lives the perfect life we are supposed to live on earth. He dies on the cross for our sins so that our sins could be removed. And he rises again so that he can restore us into a relationship with God the Father. That is the message of the gospel that Jesus came to do for us. And in humility... When in faith, when letting go of ourselves and what makes sense to us in our way, when we die to ourselves and say, Jesus, I am in awe of what you have done. I surrender all to you. When we lay down our lives, that's when Jesus lifts our lives up and resurrects us and gives us a new spiritual life. So Jesus offers forgiveness. He offers restoration in full. And when we in faith trust him, then we are reconciled back into relationship with God. So that's the message of the gospel. That's what, what makes us new. And then as a Christian, we are invited into abundant life, not just one day in heaven, but today and for all of eternity. God's desire for us is that this moment and for the rest of eternity, we will grow in increasing joy and love of God himself. That we'll never hit the ceiling of all that God is, ever. In all of eternity in heaven, we're never going to hit a point or a day in heaven where we go, well, I think, I think I've kind of capped out. Like, I think, I think that's it. 
God is so incredible that it just continues to increase and grow, but he doesn't want that just for heaven. He wants that today, for us to know him more today in his fullness, and then tomorrow to know him more, and the next day to know him more. And the way that we do that is we put off every weight and sin which clings so closely and slows us down. We put away every obstacle that would get back in our way of relationship with God. Right, so when Bascom and I reconciled because I was a jerk to him and I thought myself better than him, when I say, man, I'm sorry, uh, please forgive me, and he forgives me and we reconcile, the reality is I can sin against him again, right? And I put an obstacle back in between our relationship. And so we, we then, you know, confess and, and repent and that relationship is restored again and we grow closer in God. That's what we do when we put off every weight and sin. But we are also called to put on Jesus, to put on the way of Jesus, the character of Jesus, that, that increasingly our lives should look and sound more and more like Jesus. So if you've been a Christian for any longer than right this second, then, then our lives should have some evidence of looking more and more like Jesus in the history of our life as a Christian. I, I became a Christian when I was 15. I should look more like Jesus today than I did at 15 right? Like that's, that's this progressive growth in Christ and being like Jesus. And we do that as we put off sin and we put on Jesus. And that is how we grow in this fullness of life. That's how the fullness of life can be known more today and tomorrow and the next day is as we increasingly put off the things that aren't of Jesus and put on the things that are of Jesus. And here we started to list what we've called the practices of purpose, so the reality is anyone who has grown in this has walked in certain practices in their lives. Hey, show, show of hands, is there anyone that, that you've kind of admired as a Christian, as a man or woman of faith? You don't have to name it. I just want to know if there's people that you've, you've heard of, seen. Here's what I can promise you, is that they didn't just like wake up one day and be like, oh my gosh, like I, I don't know how I got here. I accidentally stumbled into this Christ-likeness. Like, it was just like, I was just doing my thing, and then boom, I was like, hey, I'm, like, I'm more like Jesus now, right? Like, it, you don't accidentally drift into Christ-likeness. Growing in this and looking like Jesus is day by day intentionally putting on practices of purpose that make us more like Jesus. Claire is leading our book club on um, the, the, the common rule, and, and his, his main premise is that all of us live lives of habits, of practices, like, we've got a routine, and so often, the world around us tells us what our habits should be. The world around us tells us that we should constantly have a device that fits in our hand that we're looking at. That anytime we're waiting in line, we don't interact with people around us. That would be silly. We look at our phones, right? And we, we scroll through there rather than having a conversation with somebody, right? The world around us tells us that whatever we can find our device, if it makes us feel good, it's okay, go for it right? Like the world around us tells us like, hey, this is my privacy. I shouldn't be accountable to other people with what's going on here. And so oftentimes the world around us shapes our habits and what I am asking of us and pleading for myself and for us and what the Bible pleads for us is to intentionally put on practices of purpose that will make us more like Jesus and not like the world. To choose because the choice is actually ours to choose to shape and pattern our lives with practices of purpose that make us more like 
Jesus. Here's the deal. If you want more of this, which I believe that you do, whether you would even say it or not, I believe that you do. If you want more of the fullness of life in Jesus, it is going to happen as you orient your lives around practices of purpose that take you that way towards him rather than away from him. It's practices of purpose, intentionally putting on the ways of Jesus. Now, for some of you, who, who are my, like, to-do list people? Like, you like a list? Come on, raise it high. I'm with you. Be proud. No, Blake, that's not high enough, dude. Put it up there. There we go. Right? Like, you love a to-do list. Sometimes you make a to-do list of, like, brush your teeth so that you can just be like, killing it, you know? Like, I will put silly things on my to-do list because I just want to check it off. There's something euphoric about that feeling. You're starting to feel really good about yourself. The other day, I was at HEB, and I was, I was bagging my groceries, and she was like, no, no, I can do that. I was like, please let me. Let me, let me. let me accomplish this task. I just like to feel good about doing something, being like, ha, look at my, my bag of groceries. I did that. You know, like, there's something in me that wants that. And so some of you are like, yes, finally, you're going to tell me what to do and, and now I'm going to, like, you're ready to take notes, and you're like, here's my plan, here's my game plan, and I'm going to run this route perfectly. Like, I'm going to crush this part of faith. Here's the secret. You ready? More important than doing for God is being with God. Before we, before we look at this and we're like, okay, what do I need to do? More important than doing is being. More important than doing the, the checklist and the to-do list is being with God. The secret to the fullness of life. The secret to, to growing in this is not found on a foundation of doing more things, but is found on a foundation of being with God. The, the doing will naturally follow. I think one of the biggest problems we have is that we don't know how to be with God. We don't know how to be near to him. We don't know how to hear him. We're, we're interacting with God like he's some distant relative, and we wonder why we struggle to hear him or why we struggle to have, you know, know his power and presence, and it's because we don't, we don't believe ultimately that he is near and that we can interact with God in a close, intimate relationship. Let me, let me try to illustrate this a little bit. Adam, can you help me out with something? You can? Sure? Okay. You with me? You, you got, like... So whatever I say, I need you to do, okay? Except I need you to do it in the lobby. So just stay in the lobby, no matter what, stay in the lobby, okay? Head on, you're good. Go, go to the lobby. <laughs> Round of applause, everybody. Well done. That, that was weak, that was weak, but it's okay, it's okay. It's all right, we'll get better. We'll get better. Adam, are you in the lobby? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? The, he said yes. Okay. It's hey. It's a little. It's a little difficult to hear you. Can Can you speak up just a little bit? How, hey, how? Tell me. How was your week? What did you do on Monday? Speak. Speak up. I went to lunch. I went to. I think he said I went to lunch. I went to work. I went to work. Okay. Hey. Um. 
Adam, you're, you're in the lobby, right? You're there? You got my back? Okay, hey, can y'all just talk amongst yourselves for a second? Tell a joke. You know, tell them what you're doing for lunch today. Just any, hey, Adam, keep talking. Hey, what do you want for this week? What do you want to do this week? Hey, you're going to have to, I, hold on, man. Hey, Adam, can you, can you help me move this table? Okay. All right. Okay. Hey, Adam. Um, hey, Brandon, will you tell Adam he's done and he can come back in? Super. So here's the problem, right? I know Adam's there. I know he's real. I know he's active. But, but if I interact with, with Adam over there, I, I'm going to have a really hard time actually hearing him and engaging with him. I'm not really going to, like, if I ask for help to move a table, I'm not really going to trust that he can help me move the table because he's thinking over there in the lobby, right? Like, how, how, like, so I'm going to ask it, but then I'm going to come over here and try to move it on my own anyways because I, I don't, you know, but, and if I want to talk to him about the week or what's going on, like, it's really difficult to have a close, intimate conversation where I can, I can hear, but yet if I'm talking to Hampton right now, like, we, we could just, I mean, I could just take a call, right? We could, you can hear me. I can hear you. We can whisper. Can, can you help me move the table? Right? Like, so it's, so here's, here's my point. Uh, you can come on in. It, that, that's it. I really, oh, there we go. There we go. I really believe that so much of our struggles in faith and in life is that we think of God as someone from a distance. Someone who's real. Someone who, yeah, he, he's there, but like, we don't really have a conversation. Like, I don't even know if I hear him right, you know? Like, I, I'm struggling to, and especially with other people around me and distractions, it's near impossible to, to hear God and to interact with God. There's no way for me to know his power and presence. And I think part of our problem is that we don't have the faith to believe that God intends for us to have a more intimate relationship with, with him than any other human being on this planet. I really think that's part of it. We just don't actually believe that's real. We just don't believe that we can sit down and have a conversation with God and he's actually going to talk back and that we can hear him and understand him and that we can know his power and presence. We just don't actually believe that when I say, God, I need help with this, that he's actually going to, to help. And so then we just try to do it on our own strength and then we find ourselves face down in the mud and we're like, why? We have to learn how to be with God. And not just in some like cognitive textbook type of way, but like, I'm sitting down with God face to face and, and we are having a conversation and I'm knowing him and he's knowing me and he's with me and he's present and he's active and his power is not just in the other room, but it is here. This was the model of Jesus. Right, like Mark chapter one, there's a few verses. You see this all the time with Jesus. He was an interesting guy. Mark chapter one, verse nine. It says, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. This is, this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. 
right? Like this is his, um, his kind of, what's the word? Um, de- 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 no, not gonna, I don't know. Um, we're we're, we're going to back that up. This is Jesus stepping out, right? This is his, we're going to do this now. And then check out the very next thing he does. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. Right, so Jesus comes on the scene, and the first thing he does is he takes off. For 40 days, he, 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 he starts his new job, and then he takes a sabbatical, right? For 40 days, he goes, and he's alone in the wilderness with the Spirit of God being tempted by Satan. Mark chapter 1, a few verses later, verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Verse 36, Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him. Everybody is looking for you. Like, I just think it's funny that Jesus like, he didn't even tell them. He just takes off and goes and spends some time alone praying with the Father. Luke chapter 6, if you want to turn a few pages over, or if you just want to see it there on the screen, either way it works. Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 13. In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them the twelve whom he named the apostles. Right, so the the night before Jesus chooses his twelve, what does he do? He spends the night alone in prayer. Over and over and over again, we see Jesus getting away from the crowds and from everyone to sit down and quietly spend time communing with the Father in prayer. The crowds get big, right? They start to gather around, and this is the time where our marketing classes are going to tell us, boom, you've got this thing called momentum. Keep it going, man. Reel it in. Build this thing up huge and big. And Jesus is like, hey, the crowds are getting big. Let me go spend time with the Father. Let me retreat and depart away from the Father. Let me get alone and spend time with the Father. Why? Why did he do this? Why was this the pattern of Jesus? John chapter 5, verse 19. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Jesus, he would get away and he would spend time just alone with the Father because he knows that he can do nothing on his own, but only what the Father is doing, which makes perfect sense then why Jesus would command us in John chapter 15, verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We want to focus so much on doing and doing and doing more and doing more. And Jesus is saying, apart from being with me, you can do nothing. That's why being is more important than doing. That's why being with God is more important than doing for God. Because without being with him, we can do nothing. The verb abide means to connect, to remain, to be, to be connected to, to receive life and vibrancy from our ability to do things for God, to make an impact, our ability to have more of the fullness of life is first found in being with God. That is the most important thing. That's why this is listed as number one. 
time with God, being with him. That is the most important thing we can do. Miles, he, he loves to pick flowers for Stephanie. He takes really good care of her. It's, it's awesome. And so she's away for a few days, and so he picked this, and he was like, Dad, I want to put this in some water and in the sun so I can give it to Mom when she gets back, right? Um, but come on, we don't have to be horticulturists. I'm struggling with words today. You know what I'm saying. How's this going to look in a few days when Stephanie gets back? Terrible. Ter- terrible. Why? Why is it going to die? It's been ripped out of the ground. It's not connected to a source of life. It cannot survive on its own. It cannot do what it's supposed to do on its own. And Jesus is saying, we are the branch. He is the vine. He's the root. He's the source of life. And unless we abide in him, remain with him, sit with him, be with him, we're going to end up like this branch. Man, we may be purple for a day or two. But it's not going to take long before we, we fall flat on the ground and we're like, dang it. Because we've got to be with Jesus. There's a, a beautiful story of this in Luke chapter 10. It says in verse 38, as they were on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Martha welcomed Jesus in. That's a perfect illustration of Romans 15, 7. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Martha's like, boom, let me welcome Jesus in. And so she welcomes Jesus in. And she had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, Martha. You're so anxious and troubled about many things. Gosh, if there was one phrase that summed up our culture and our world, it might be that. You're so anxious and troubled about many things. Is that hidden close to home for anybody today? You're so anxious and troubled about your job or what's going to be your job. You're so anxious and troubled about your future. You're so anxious and troubled about serving at the church. You're so anxious and troubled about a family. You're so anxious and troubled about these dreams and ambitions and desires that you have. You're so anxious and troubled about many things but one thing is necessary and Mary has chosen that good portion Mary has chosen the best thing which will not be taken away from her serving Jesus is not a bad thing y'all if you're like well let me not serve that's not a bad thing we're actually commanded to serve as Jesus served. So, so it's not that Martha was doing the wrong thing. It's that she wasn't doing the best thing. It's that she got it out of order. She was seeking to do for Jesus before be with Jesus. And Jesus is saying, Martha, 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 that's going to leave you anxious and troubled about many things. But if you will sit at my feet, if you will wait with me, if you will listen to my words, if you will be in my presence then doing takes on a whole different light, a whole different lack of pressure. 
Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will make your path straight. Right? Like we, we, we oftentimes want to lean on our understanding and our way. God, this doesn't make sense. This is how I see it. This is what history has shown me. This is what is logical, right? We want to walk this path and trust in our own ways. And, and maybe that's right, but God is ultimately saying, just trust me first. Right? Sit with me first. Lean into me first, and I will make your path straight. We've got to be with God before doing for God. I know there's some challenges with this. Come on, how, how many of us, we don't have to raise our hand because I know it's going to be 100% and your arms may be getting tired at this point, but how many of us struggle with being with God on a regular basis? Yep. How many of us, yeah, how many of us sit down and we're like, I'm going to do this, and immediately our minds and our souls are like, here's your to-do list though. Like, get to work. And, and your to-do list may be listed of good things, right? i got to serve Jesus. Right? Like we have this list of things to do, and we struggle with just waiting and being in the presence of God because it feels so difficult. Well, here's the thing. There's an enemy that wants it to feel difficult. There's an enemy that wants to distract us and pull our minds off of God. There's an enemy that wants us looking at our to-do list rather than at Jesus. There's an enemy that wants us looking at the things around us rather than at Jesus. That is his, his original temptation. Hey, Adam, Eve, don't look, at, don't look at God. Look at this fruit. Look over here. It's pretty. It's, it's juicy. It tastes good. Like, don't, no, 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 look over here. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this. Right? Anyone else feel that same distraction every time you try to sit down and spend? Because there's an enemy that just wants you to look over here. Over here, over here. He just wants to distract us. All the time. We naturally lean on our own understanding. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned? Remember they ate the fruit in Genesis 3, and what's the next thing they did? They ran and they hid from God and they started making clothes for themselves. They messed things up and they're like, dang, I gotta get to I gotta fix this. I gotta get to work. I gotta make my own clothes. I gotta solve this problem. So rather than running to God and being with the Father, they're trying to get their own hands on it and solve it themselves. And they've passed that down to us. Right? Like we we think I've got to get to go and I've got to get action rather than being with Father, rather than running to the Father is the most important thing they can do. We naturally think I gotta do and I gotta get over here and I gotta hustle and I gotta like, grind and I gotta fix this and I gotta solve this. And the father said, take a breath. Just be with me. So we have an enemy that distracts us. We have a, a sin, a nature that, that pulls us away. But don't forget, Jesus has already defeated the enemy, so he, he doesn't actually have power over us. And we have been given a new nature in Jesus. We actually can say no and focus on him. It's there for us and in us. I think part of the challenge, we have surrounded ourselves with distractions. Right, one of the best things I think that book, The Common Rule, talks about is he says, the Bible before my phone. I'm going to pick up my Bible before I pick up my phone. The most often grabbed thing or touched thing first in the morning now is our phones because we keep them right there next to us. Or if it's not there, we get up and we go to it first. We've got to eliminate distractions. What if the first thing we did, even if it was just for a few seconds, was pray and read? Even if it was just a verse a day. I'm going to pray and I'm going to start here before I start there. 
We have so many distractions. So how do we do this? This is where I want to get practical, and, and, and really we're going to spend the bulk of next week talking about this. So we're not going to talk about it as much, but, but the first thing I do want to talk about is how do we spend time with God? It, it is first about our identity as a son and a daughter. So we want to get practical, right? We want to know, first is remembering who we are in Jesus. Recognize our identity in him. Do you think that God the Father loved Jesus? Even if, you, even if you're like, I don't know that I believe the Bible. Okay, just theoretically, you know, according to what we, we do know of, do you think that God the Father loved Jesus the Son? Yes, I see some yeses, okay. Like, like a lot, like God the Father would do whatever he could do for, for the Son, for Jesus. John 17 Verse 22 to 23, Jesus is praying to God, and he says, God, may the glory that you have, been, have given to me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them as you loved me. So the same love that God the Father has for Jesus, Jesus is saying that God has for you and for me. Romans 8. It says that for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For all who have trusted Christ and received the Spirit are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Jesus is saying through Paul that when we trust Christ, the Spirit of Christ comes and lives in us, dwells in us, uniting us with Jesus. That's what it means to be in Jesus. We are in Jesus because by faith, the Spirit of God fills us and we are connected to Jesus. We are one with Jesus. Are you with me? When we trust Christ, the Spirit of God comes and lives in us in us. We become a new creation, a spiritual creation. We are one with him, but, but that also means we receive his sonship or daughtership. Just as Jesus is the son of the father, when I trust Christ, I become a co-heir with Jesus. He's my brother, which means God is my father, and God shows no partiality. So the way that God's love is for Jesus, the son, somehow by faith in Jesus, his love is now for me as his son. The same way that God's love is for Jesus as a son, his love is now for you as a daughter, as a co-heir with Jesus. By faith in Christ, we are sons and daughters. And so remember when we read about Jesus' baptism? What was the declaration that God made over Jesus? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. 
What, what had Jesus done for ministry up to that point? Nothing. He hadn't done ministry. He hadn't accomplished great things for the world. He hadn't, he hadn't died on the cross for our sins. He, but yet God the Father is saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Why? Because that was His Son. Man, I love my kids. I love them from day one. From the moment they were born, I loved them. And it's not because they gave anything to me. They took a lot. They still take a lot. It costs a lot of money to raise a kid. They took sleep, oh, precious sleep, in bucket loads. They took energy and resources. They took food. We got married and we got pregnant two months later. That was not our plan. That one over there took our plan away. Thanks, Michaela. All they did was take. And yet we love them. Why? Because they're mine. I don't care what they do, they're, they're, they're mine. They're a part of me. And what we get to realize is that when we trust Christ and His Spirit comes and lives in us, we are His. He is our Father. You are His Son. You're His daughter. Beloved. And He is well pleased in you. Because He's well pleased in Jesus. Do you get the implications of that? By faith in Jesus, he is well pleased regardless of what you do or don't do. That frees us up to come to the Father without fear. That frees us up to ask whatever we want to ask. That frees us up to pour our hearts out to God because we are his son and his daughter and he loves us and he is well pleased in us. That frees us up to be vulnerable and exposed and honest, knowing that God loves us deeply. How can we know that God is good? That everything He does for us is, is for our good? Because the same way that God the Father worked for Jesus and worked for His good, He's working for us. If God's not working for our good, then He's not working for Jesus' good. So if I'm going to question whether God is for me and God is with me and hears me, then I have to question whether God the Father was for Jesus and with Jesus and heard Jesus. Because the way that he loves Jesus the Son is the way that he loves me, Corey the Son. He's the same way that he loves Joel, his daughter. And so we know that God is for me and will work for me because of how he loved and was for Jesus the Son. We know that if Jesus could sit with his Father and dialogue and commune and be near to him, then we can sit with our Father and dialogue and commune and be near to him. We know that if Jesus could receive the power of resurrection, we can receive the power of resurrection. 
We know that if Jesus has the power of healing, we have the power of healing in us. It's not our doing, it's not our work, it's God in us through his spirit. And so we don't have to interact with God like he's some distant being, some distant relative. We can interact with God our Father the same way that Jesus interacts with God the Father because he is in us. The Spirit in us calls out Abba, Father, Dad. His door is open. And we know that he is well-pleased in us because he is well-pleased in Jesus over us. And so when we think about being with God, we think about who we are as a son and a daughter, that God is a good father. Man, there's, there's nothing better than a genuine move of love from my kids to me. Right? Just a genuine move of, I just want to hug you or be near you. I want to spend time with you. There's nothing better as a father with my kids. I'm not looking for them to perform to some level. I just, just want to be with them. Our father, he, he wants to be with us. And it is the best thing we can do every single day is to be with the father. And so next week, we're going to talk about how we do that through his word, how we converse with God. He's already begun the conversation with us. And so now we just sit down and we join the conversation with God. We hear his words. We respond to him. He responds to us. But if you're sitting here today and you're thinking, man, I, I do want more of the fullness of life with God. Before we ever do anything, God's just saying, hey, stop and be with me. Just wait, sit, listen, be still, be quiet. L let me do my part. So that's his invitation to us, to come as sons and daughters, to receive the fullness of the Father. God, we thank you so much that, that you love us. You tell us in Romans 5 that while we were still sinners, you sent Christ to die for us. That is the demonstration. That's how we know. That's the evidence, the proof of your love for us. God, we so much just want to move on and go to the next thing and do more. And, and you're telling us that the fullness of life is in your presence. It's being with you. It's sitting at your feet and listening to your words. God, you're telling us that the, the greatest joy and satisfaction we can know is, is that is found in your presence. God, would you loosen our love and grip of ourselves? 
Would you loosen our love and grip of things of this world? Would you let us taste and see how good you are? God, we are, we, we are faithless people. We struggle with faith. And so would you, would you give us a taste and show us more so that our faith can be strengthened? God, may we not rush away from your presence or from your truth. May we joyfully sit with you. May we find incredible freedom and security in your love for us. So often we look for love in all the wrong places. faith to trust that your way is good even when it doesn't make sense to us give us the faith to trust you thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church podcast to help support us please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com